Hey everybody, Paul here. I want to give you a quick heads up that you'll hear some pounding during the first part of this episode. It's unfortunate, but it does go away. I promise. Thanks for listening. And she said to me, she first came, she learned when I started yelling and, you know, um, getting really frustrated with her, she just realized that that was a learning point. She needed to look at what I was doing to learn. She'd never seen an electric kettle before. She'd never seen a cooker before. She'd never seen a fridge before. She'd never seen electricity before. So it was just amazingly fascinating for her to, to just, if she put something on, the lights will come on and then off. And then she'd never seen tiles. The tiles was shining and in her face and, and so on. And um, she thought she could actually use it as a mirror. But for me, I'd say to her, it's not clean. You know, it's not shiny enough and it's not clean. And she'd be wondering, what does this woman want me to do with this? That was how she learned. And it was such, for me, a humbling moment with those stories that she told me. I was so ashamed of myself because I just assumed she was like me. But she couldn't have been to come and work as my help for minimum wage. Hello, I'm Paul Munir, the Executive Director of the Youth Intervention Programs Association, and I'm a youth worker at heart. How lucky am I? I have the privilege to meet youth workers from around the globe and learn their stories and share them with the entire world. I'm glad you're listening because together we'll learn how their life experiences shape their youth work. As you listen, I encourage you to consider how your experiences shape what you have to offer young people. Welcome to this edition of The Passionate Youth Worker. Hi, everybody. For this episode, we're joined by Mariam Aliko Mohammed from Kaduna, Nigeria. She is the school lead of Kaduna International School, where she works tirelessly to implement positive youth development strategies so young people can find their one thing that is uniquely theirs. Mariam, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. I'm really honored. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm so excited to learn about you and learn where your passion comes from. As we were getting to know each other, you mentioned a proverb that went something like this. A human being is never made until you die. I found that actually very interesting. And I'm wondering if we can start off the episode by talking about that a little bit. Right. Okay. So that's one of my very meaningful ones. I think I've learned so many lessons from that. And usually said by the Hausa people when there's a bit of a pleasant surprise or a shock factor or so, and they say, you know, a person is not fully made till a person dies. And so what it really means is that we're constantly evolving. We're constantly learning. People are constantly teaching us our life experiences. So you can't say this is what a person is because you never know. Another day they may change. They may become better. So basically also the lesson is not to give up on people and not to not not to say, oh, well, he can't do better or she can't do better. You know, there's always better to be done. There's always different to be done. And it can be done by anyone. That's a beautiful proverb because that is so critical as human beings to improve yourself each and every day. And we do continuously evolve. And I think that that's really important for youth workers to wrap their hands around that you never really get good at what you're doing until you're done doing it, then you're as good as you're ever going to get. True. 
Very, very true. I think that, you know, especially with young people, every single person brings something unique to the table. They have a unique perspective. And I think that it, it would do well for anybody or any youth worker to continuously remain curious and to learn from them as well. Because as they evolve, you also evolve. You also get better at what you do, get fresh perspective and so on. So it's it's really an amazing journey to constantly know people, to constantly constantly even be refreshed and I think that that's what it is for every person you meet you're constantly refreshed by what they bring to you and how they can change you that's wonderful and as as I've been getting to know you and talking to you over the years and reading your resume you have gone through many changes in your life you have done so many different careers and so many different sectors on your resume you list that you're a polymath and to be honest with you i had to look up what a polymath was but once i found the definition i realized you are a polymath did you set out in life to constantly do all these different things or has it just been how life has unfolded for you i think it's been life unfolding and I think you know a a wonderful legacy by my parents and maybe my family not to limit anything you know if you can do it and you you can take responsibility and accept consequence then you went ahead and did what it is that you needed to do and and so it wasn't restrictive in any way I pretty much grew up in Kaduna and um, went to primary school, secondary school. And at that time, if you were, we got put into classes. So you either studied sciences or you studied arts. And if you were analytical and good in sciences or good, get good grades, you got put in a science class. And so I ended up in a science class and I ended up applying to study medicine. I knew from trying to study medicine that, you know, it wasn't going to work because I couldn't stand blood. If I saw or smelt (laughs) it, I I go woozy. And even now when I take my children to the dentist, you know, the dentist has to give me his chair because I've known him all my life and and I have to just put my head down because I don't do blood very well. I started off with that, fascinated during A-levels with pharmacology, which is how drugs affect, you know, the body and and so on. And I thought it was so interesting because we're just chemical beings and it just depends on what we put into our body and a reaction, certainly sometimes a good one, sometimes not a good one. And then... I came back home, realized that there were no jobs because Nigeria had not advanced to that level for drug research. It was still done on the fringes by very few doctors. And then if I had to do that, I would have had to travel, maybe live somewhere else. And lived a fairly sheltered life. And I thought I hadn't spent enough time with my families. I didn't want to go off anywhere. And so at that time also, we were doing business and MBAs were the rage. And I went back and I did an MBA. I was interested in people. So I did it in marketing and HR, human resource management. And then that's it. And from then it just blew into something. And I just found that what when things interest to me, I'd just go for it and push and see how far I'll go with it. And yeah, it's it's been a lovely, lovely run. I, I'm still evolving. I don't know what next, but I know certainly youth work is will always be there. I can see that you have a very strong sense of curiosity and you work so hard to connect the dots and all the things you do. I can tell you're a lifelong learner too. You try to adapt and adjust all the things that you've learned along the way. Did you get all those traits from your parents or are you different than your parents? No, I think that I'm pretty much, you know, a product of my parents. So my, my parents had um, eight of us. 
so there's just the one boy and they've been doers so my father is a serial industrialist he just sets up entrepreneur in at this age they'll call him an entrepreneur so he sets up factories you know he has all these ideas and my mom too very much like that but the good thing about my parents is that they did it it wasn't theory it was it, they did it they did all the things that they set yeah. out to do and they encouraged us to do it so i i remember i finished my mba at 23 and I came back home and my dad had an LPG plant, you know, that was one of its kind then in the north of Nigeria. And he sent me to work there. So one of the things that also my father and my mom have done is to affirm us. So I was 23 then. And like, well, you've gone to school, you've studied this thing, you know, then go ahead this place. And it was um, learning that was invaluable. Because at that age, you know, he allowed us the freedom and he would sit. So sometimes when we sit on boards, he'll sit, he'll let us know how it is, what to correct, what to say. My mom as well would sort of leave you to it, to get it done. So my parents were very enabling in in that sense. And this is really where it all comes from. You know, my sisters, my brothers, we have board meetings that are lunch dates at home, you know, and sort of, and stuff like that. So my, my parents, my father is very structured. And my mom, too, to a certain extent. So he's he's worked all his life in finance and insurance and all of these things. And so he, he comes and he gives this knowledge back to us and allows us to practice it. And also really pays us for us as well. That's one of the pluses of my dad because I see many people work for their parents and possibly they just don't pay them or they don't appreciate it. But my dad would actually pay you well as a professional and expect also professional work. And same with my mom as well. So, yeah, my parents were totally instrumental and, you know, very pivotal to what we've all become. Well, they certainly have done a nice job and allowed you to grow into just a wonderful person. And I think that they should be proud of what they've done. And when we were talking about your mom earlier, you described her as fearless. And I thought that was interesting because you kind of strike me as fearless. Talk about your mom a little bit and her fearlessness. So my mom, my mom is truly, you know, the greater enabler. My father is an enabler, but he's more quiet. His personality is, is, is you know, quiet strength. But my mom is fearless. She'd go anywhere. She'd encourage us to do everything. So she was also a child at the time at which she grew up. You know, her, her mom passed very early. You know, she doesn't know her mom. I think it was sort of heartbreak for my grandfather he didn't even have pictures for her so now we're trying to look for even an app that could actually blend you know my mom and her father and come up with something like her mom looks looks like but nobody seems to know and he was married to her for a very short period of time and so he took my mom everywhere he was an immigration officer and he worked in the customs as well so he would take her to all the border towns till she grew old enough to um to, to to stop traveling with him and that was really what it was for my mom. I think at a young age, she traveled. She saw so many things and so many different cultures and people and had to interact with them. So she wasn't your typical northern Nigerian lady or very typical. She's conservative, but she's fearless. She's fearless. She would do anything and encourage yeah. us to do everything. In Nigeria, to have such a strong woman and such a strong fearless kind of attitude is is that unusual or is that becoming more and more normal i think at the time at which she was it wasn't very usual so the school i lead my mom started that in 1985 and she started it born out of a need 
Mm. Yeah, so so that was some 30, 40 years, you know, 36, 37 years ago. She started this by herself. And we'd always had different people doing it. And so we decided, well, we've now come of age. We could help her do it because my mom now is about 75. She's going to be 75. So she's, you know, she's supposed to have retired from the board, but we keep her there and keep renewing her every so often. But so my mom started that, you know, based off of a need. So it's, she is unusual in more ways than one. Yes. But it's getting better now. Because she did it in such a way that it wasn't very obvious. She was just that quiet strength. And if you'd met her, you would never really think that that was how much strength that she had. But she enabled us to be able to do so. So now more people are getting fearless. Women are are allowed the space. They're sitting at the table. And I think it also means, it also has happened that we've had champions, men that were also enabling of us. So it was very easy to get doors that would usually be closed to other women open because, you know, there were men that believed in the things that we did and they were willing to champion and push us forward. So that, that really is also a huge part of it. You're a feminist through and through. I think your mom ingrained that in you, right? And probably all your sisters, are they like that too? Yeah, I think that maybe most of them would say feminist. I think sometimes it has some negative connotations that, you know, you sort of think, oh, well, here over here, when you say feminist, it means that you're just so argumentative and, and so on. But the truth is that um, women rights are human rights, human rights that have not been given to a particular set of people. And if fighting for it makes us feminist, then that's okay. And some of us that are enabled, I think since you've gotten through the door and you've sat on the table, then you should keep the door open for other women to come in. Women are wonderful, wonderful additions to businesses, to NGOs, to youth work, to everything. And if they're excluded from leadership or governance or whatever it is, then you lose 50% of what could be. And possibly with a synergistic effect, you're losing maybe 90% of wonderful things could happen. So it's getting better. Women's rights are human rights. I believe that so strongly. And I think the same thing can be true for children and young people. We like to talk about youth work as being social justice work at the heart of what it really is. It's just trying to advocate for the best of young people, regardless of who they are, where they are, or what their circumstances are like. Do you try to carry that mentality of just fighting for human rights and social justice for young people into your work? Yes, certainly. And a lot of it is also getting them to advocate for themselves. So young people are only young for a certain period of time. Then they become adults. And if we don't transition them well into becoming whole adults, then we have a bigger problem. Because if you're looking at someone, you know, that becomes an adult, well, as they say, 18, and then, but the youth goes up to maybe perhaps, you know, 35, people are living longer now. So they spend more time, more of their lives being adults than they would young people. So it's really a critical period of time for us to advocate for them and get them to advocate for themselves and help them through this transition period to being adult. Because A young person is just an adult in waiting, I always say. And if 
they're not enabled if it's not positive around them if it's not uplifting they don't learn properly they don't get good education they don't get good support then the quality of adults we're going to have in the future is going to really be terrible and imagine that making policies making you know ruling doing all sorts of things as an adult who is deficient or an adult that is not enabled or optimized then that's a problem we need to look at it that way because they'll own the world after we do and they're not going to remain young people forever that's right and we have to set the stage for them to be successful maria we just have to take a short break but when we come back i have so much more i would like to learn about you so we'll be right back No matter how you support our young people, the professional youth worker powered by YIPA has your training and learning needs covered. Visit training.yipa.org. That's training.yipa.org to see for yourself and then join the thousands of youth workers around the globe who learn from our easy to access exceptional trainings. From our blogs to our podcast, the professional youth worker is your go-to resource for tools to help you keep going, keep learning and keep growing. Members enjoy free unlimited access to live online and on-demand trainings and a preferred discount pricing for our one-of-a-kind certificate course. Annual memberships are just $99 for individuals and only $250 for your entire organization. Visit training.yipa.org today to learn more. That's training.yipa.org. And we're back with Maria Maliko Mohammed from Kaduna, Nigeria. Right before the break, you were talking about setting young people up for success and getting them ready because they are going to own the world when they become adults. As you do your work at the international school there, you're trying to implement positive youth development, and that's a big shift for the culture. Why is that so important to shift to positive youth development? In all my journeys, I think in being different versions of myself and getting into it, I, I realize that perhaps it's also from the sciences, a lot of analysis, you know, you look at things going wrong. So we live in a nation where it's really corrupt. All the indices are bad in terms of education, you know, health, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's really bad. It's not working and we're holding on to practices and cultures that obviously don't work. If they did, we'll we should be in a much, much better place than than we are. So as they say, you know, doing the same thing and expecting different results is really madness, isn't it? So where I come from in Kaduna, we're also seeing drug problems, there's insecurity, there are bandits, there are kidnappers, there are all sorts of ethno-religious violence and so on. And we can't keep looking at doing things the same way and hoping for something different. Clearly, the system is broken and we have to do different. I really... I shouldn't say I really don't mind what it is that we're doing different. In the beginning when I started, before I got exposed to youth work, I would say, let's just do something different and let's get a different reaction. And then if it doesn't work, we try something else and then we try something else. And so thankfully, I got into this youth work and I realized that there's a whole way of doing things and we need to all get on board to doing this. And I think the school is a perfect small pilot for us to do this let people see this is what can work and then they can replicate it. They can come and ask us or they can join us. And then we can start a movement that hopefully works for young people so that they don't feel the need to cope with drugs 
so that they don't feel the need that it's economically hopeless and so I have to go into banditry and kidnapping and armed robbery. Then they think clearer and realize that religion I practice and the one you practice are just enjoying us to be good people. They just it's, it's nothing about anything else, but it's a way of life to be better to another human. And that's what it is. And I choose to possibly do it on my feet. You possibly would choose to ride a bicycle to do it. Another person would choose a car. Another person would choose an airplane. Same destination, though, we're going to. But with young people, the volume of work, academic work, they're supposed to learn is so much, is so voluminous. And if you don't get a child to be in the right mindset, to actually take on this information and be interested in it or inspired by it, they're not going to pass any exams. There's not going to be any achievements or attainments. So we need to get them to be comfortable in wanting to learn. And how do you do that? By making them feel valued, by making them feel heard and seen. And so that's what we're doing. We need to, to see them for the people that they are going to be and people they are right now and what they're going to be and the possibilities of them and share that vision we have on them and make them believe so that they can do better for themselves. What a wonderful vision. And to take that on and to try to create culture shift, system shift is, is such hard work. To, to try to get people to look at things through a totally different lens is a very difficult task. And I'm so happy that you're taking that on and trying to reset things. We have a problem with street kids, and they're called Almajere. So they're, they're children that come in and they get sent from villages and different places to go and learn the Quran and learn Islam from a tutor or a sheikh or something. And they come in there, and most mm -hmm. of them end up begging on the streets. Because of poverty, that system that used to be so enabling and so good and creating character and the way that people get educated traditionally for years, centuries even, has just been busted by poverty, bad governance, and all, all the things that are causing all of these kidnapping. And so the societal thing is affecting that system as well. And so I was writing an essay and I was thinking about how we see young people and how instead of seeing the parallels, these schools where they send them to all the way from their, their own villages to come somewhere else and learn from someone. That's what my parents did for us. They sent us to boarding school. It was so different. It's really, when you think about it, so they're not staying in a place that has walls and desks and so on and so forth. But the thinking is the same, isn't it? To go and send your child to an institution where they, they mature, they learn, it's regimented and so on and so forth. And it's been done for centuries. But for some reason, we look at ours and all we see is the bad things and we want to throw the, the bath water, you know, the child with the bath water, the baby with the bath water, as opposed to just change the water. We, we don't think oh, yeah. in, in terms of looking at systems because systems are made of people, aren't they? And truly, if we commit enough to looking at the people within the systems, then we can change the systems as well. And for me, I see it as that. There's nothing that is etched in stone. There's nothing that can't be changed or made better. After all, it's human beings like me and you that, that made them so. You have a story about how your passion came to be for young people. And it has to do with some help that you had in your house. Can you tell that story? Because I think it really describes how you've evolved as a person. Most places or most homes, you know, um, we, we have helpers and usually they're young girls that come in from villages surrounding our city, if you like, you know, or the town in which I live in. When I got married in the beginning and I had children, they were really young. 
and so I needed help and I was working full-time then for my dad so I needed someone to come and help and it, it's always a problem so sometimes when you're getting married it's like a prayer point as they say is like please you know god give me good house helps you know that would stay and take care of my children and enable me and so i i had like my own share i never really thought about it i just had people come in and out you know and then you became close to them my mom had them and they were like part of the family and so on so truly i didn't think about them specifically I just thought, well, they were people. I didn't treat them badly or whatever it was, but I didn't really think about who they were and what they were coming there for. What was their reason to come and work for me? It's just one of those things that we accept. I remember this particular one. I'd had two kids and I was rushing to go to work and they brought her for me in the morning. And I remember telling her I was going to go and she was late, you know, and I was really getting frustrated. And I was like, okay, boil some water, you know, put on the kettle, boil some water and I'm going to come out and have some tea. So let me just dress up. And I dressed up and I came and found her standing right where I left her. She didn't touch the kettle. Mm-hmm. And of course, I said, I, I was really frustrated and I was yelling, you know, why why didn't you do this? I'd asked you to do this. And as I was yelling, I was actually going, unplug the kettle, put it on, under the tap, put some water in and plugged it in and so on. And many, many other things like that. You know, there was, she slept in a room away from me. And um, it was in, we had a little courtyard in the middle of the house and she was sleeping across from my room. And every so often in the night, I'll see the lights go on and off and on and off and on and off. And I'd heard stories about those girls also having like, you know, we're, we're very big on the superstition and, uh, and the jujus and the, um, <laughs> you know, all sorts of spiritual things. And it's like, oh, wow, maybe this girl has some spirits or whatever it is. And I was like, God, I'm not going to let her sleep with my children. And then, you know, it goes on. A couple of months after that, it became calm and then we started talking and she said to me she first came she learned when i started yelling and you know um, getting really frustrated with her she just realized that that was a learning point she needed to look at what i was doing to learn she'd never seen an electric kettle before she'd never seen a cooker before she'd never seen a fridge before She'd never seen electricity before, so it was just amazingly fascinating for her to, to just, if she put something on, the lights will come on and then off. And then she'd never seen tiles. The tiles was shining and in her face and, and so on. And um, she thought she could actually use it as a mirror. But for me, I'd say to her, it's not clean. You know, it's not shiny enough and it's not clean. And she'd be wondering, what does this woman want me to do with this? That was how she learned. And it was such, for me, a humbling moment with those stories that she told me. I was so ashamed of myself because I just assumed she was like me. But she couldn't have been to come and work as my help for minimum wage. But I just assumed that we were, she was like me and she should know these things. And she even said to me that she didn't know how to speak the language I was speaking to her guy that brought her taught her a few words as they traveled for two days you know I taught her what to say hello good morning sorry thank you and that's it and I actually taught her this language that was what got me into it so I started youth work by registering an NGO that worked with house helps I needed to know who they were why they were their aspirations they wanted to go to she wanted to be a doctor but she still hasn't been she's still working in people's houses because she doesn't have the skill to save up that kind of money. Even her education is not strong enough to get her into medical school. So they have so many things that are minuses for them. And they come up with the, with the dreams and then they can't achieve it. 
I did that for a couple of years and for doing that, you know, I got the UNDP, I got everyone to sort of like support, get me into entrepreneurship and I realized these problems were not household problems, they were youth problems and every child, mine included, that was, that is privileged and has everything goes through this, you know, these are my dreams but are my dreams accepted as valid dreams and can I pursue those dreams, you know, to become an adult that is this way. Yeah, so so this is really what it what what the story was. Really humbling, humbling, humbling experience, and I'm so glad that I've got it. So now when I meet someone working, I need to know how many how many kids did your mom have? You know, is your mom alive? You know, these questions that we don't we don't even see a person and acknowledge that this is a person, you know, with a life and has come to get a livelihood from us. So it, it was really humbling experience that I was deeply ashamed of myself at that time but i'm glad i had it i'm glad i had it well it shows a lot about your character that you were able to see that in the first place and it is a wonderful story that tells what it's like for young people to grow up and for us to think that we understand their circumstances when really often we don't Mariam, I like to ask every guest that comes on the show, what words of wisdom or inspiration can you leave with our listeners? I think for me is be kind. I've thought about this long and hard, but I still maintain that it is to be kind, to treat another human with the same humanness that you have. And I think culturally and as well as, you know, religiously, we've got something called Ihsan. Ihsan means... um, to worship God as though he sees you. But if you don't see him, he sees you, right? And so for me, I've sort of extrapolated that to see that do good, do good as if everybody in the world is watching you. And that's the people you love, the people you hate, the people you don't want to feel shame with. Do good, do things, everything you do should be, can you do it in front of the world? And so it it just makes it that much better for us in the way that we relate to people and treat people. So let's, let's be kind. I think that young people and everyone actually, but young people more than anything need kindness because they're living in a world sometimes, especially areas that don't have hope. And I think it's the absence of hope that gets them to be so negative or get into these things or makes it easier for them to lose their way because nobody sees them. And then a couple of years later, everybody expects them to be adults that are positive, that contribute to community and nationhood. And how do they do that when, you know, nobody has allowed them to just be, to just be? I think I think it's be kind. Let's be kind to each and every person as often as we can and as much as we can. And sometimes it's just a smile. Sometimes it's just, you know, let me just stand here and watch you do this. And if you need me, I'm just here. Sometimes it's just that. Beautiful way to end this episode. Thank you. Thank you, Mariam, for being a guest. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, It is just so nice to meet you. And I'm so grateful that you're involved in youth work. Thank you very much, Paul, for having me. If you would like to share your passion for youth work, we'd love to spotlight you as a guest. If you have feedback about the show, please let us know. Just visit training.yipa.org. That's training.yipa.org and click on the podcast tab. 
This podcast is made possible in part due to a generous contribution from M Health Fairview. I'm your host, Paul Muneer. Thanks for listening to The Passionate Youth Worker.